Balcom Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. A rough week in Israel, we know. The barrage of rockets continues. Uh, I'm not going to ask you for predictions because who knows how long it will last, although we pray, of course, that our brothers and sisters are out of this danger as soon as possible. How did it escalate to get to this point, Malcolm, to the point where the enemy is now firing hundreds of rockets, where Iron Dome is intercepting the majority of them, thank God, and where the Israeli government is seriously considering a ground invasion at this point? Well, it was a natural buildup uh, over many years, um, especially before the current regime in Egypt came into place. With, which has closed, I don't know, more than a thousand tunnels. And the, during the Morsi year, especially, the buildup was uh, escalated considerably and accelerated. And the the weapons that came from Iran, from Syria, clearly these these missiles, the M three two twenty, the uh, from Libya, and they came through various circuitous routes. And if you remember the ship that was intercepted a few months ago, where some of these advanced missiles, about 40 of them, were on that ship coming from Iran, the Iraq, through, was ultimately to go to the Sudan and from the Sudan to the Sinai and Gaza. So this has been an accumulation over time. They also have uh, developed the capacity to manufacture their own missiles, and they're more crude, but they manufacture them in uh, in Gaza itself. You also have a competition between Hamas and Islamic Jihad primarily, but also perhaps Fatah today. Uh, this has to do with the competition for credibility on the street. This has to do with the fact that Hamas is, is virtually bankrupt or is bankrupt. They thought that the marriage with Fatah would create a, a pool of cash that would pay off there are 40,000 employees in Gaza, which did not happen. There are so many factors that contribute to bringing us to the situa- situation we are today. I believe, though, that we haven't proved that, um, that Iran is also stimulating this at this time because we're coming to the July 20th deadline for the talks. Right. which do not appear to be moving very quickly. When you say stimulating, do you mean funding as well? I do mean funding as well, certainly for Islamic Jihad, which is their primary outlet, of when, <coughs> as they got angry at the Hamas for not backing Assad in the war in Syria. You know, they sort of broke with them. Qatar has been the major funder, uh, and usually when they're under fire and they're standing up against Israel and, and doing this kind of thing, they, they receive the aid. But it seems that they've made a decision to go all in on this uh, in this war. It, it defies... Uh, rationality. They escal- uh, They have uh, uh, added to the demands that uh, more prisoners be released and other things that they want from Israel for a, a ceasefire. The, the, not that our brothers and sisters would feel the difference, frankly, but in terms of days this week, I mean, today, for instance, today, Friday, you're observing what's going on. Is it any less than, than previous days this week? Is it worse? I mean, how, how would you evaluate the, the, the direction that this is going in in terms of volume of rockets that's coming from Gaza? I would say that it's uh, sustained at a very high level. Uh, those who have the red app, uh, red alert app, can follow the uh, the progression 
of uh, rockets of how where they hit, how they hit. Uh, again, there were several fired at uh, at the Tel Aviv area, and were intercepted. Uh, also over Ashkelon, uh, intercepted by uh, the Iron Dome, which means that they potentially could have been a, a hit a, a uh, civilian population. This is one of the big differences that Iron Dome has diminished the impact, and and obviously what the ultimate goal, which is to kill Israelis and wound Israelis and do damage. Last night, there was an escalation. In number one, there was an, an incident across the Gaza border, and an Israeli soldier is badly wounded, and they have asked for uh, to be loaded for, uh, uh, for him. Uh, th- there was also a hit on a gas tank at a gas station, uh, which did cause uh, uh, cause damage and uh, and um, hurt somebody badly. Uh, so there are, I would say it's it's escalating that you have the first real victims, uh, right. victims, but the damage has been done all along. There have been uh, incidents uh, that that have been, uh, and there were missiles at Beersheba. Um, and the soldier's name, by the way, is Mordechai Chai Ben Bracha Yehudit. He comes from uh, from Itamar, and he was uh, quite badly hurt. And we don't even want to start to imagine what would be going on without Iron Dome. That's that's exactly the point, right? And they, they, there are a couple other differences. One is, and it sort of diminished since uh, we started saying it, uh, is that Syria is so tied up with its own internal problems that it is not engaged. Iran has its own issues, so it's not directly engaged. Hezbollah was not engaged, although two missiles were fired from Lebanon during the night. We don't know if that was rogue operation, what, who, who was behind it. Israelis have indicated that they are not. They did not yet make any accusations. But the axis of resistance, if you remember, that we used to talk about, it doesn't exist today. And one of the complaints that the Palestinians, especially Gazans, uh, are uh, stating all the time is that the Arab world, including the Arab press, just doesn't give a damn about them. For the first time, the Egyptians today have expressed uh, concern and, and uh, been critical. But aside from pro forma statements, you're not getting the high level of response that you, you uh, often get. We also see that, the, and people don't know, that Hamas has been digging tunnels into Israel. There was one that went one mile into Israel with electricity. It was one mile long went into Israel. Uh, it, they have taken out a number of tunnels. They've discovered new ones. This, these were meant to bring significant numbers of soldiers in to, to, to do kidnappings or killings. You know that they try to infiltrate from the sea, and they were caught. There were two infiltrations from the sea. Uh, both times they were caught. The report about a lot was, was not true, that they were coming through there. So you have a different set of circumstances uh, we also see the international community, again, supporting Israel, but the erosion is beginning. We're beginning right. to see the calls, you know, restraint, the calls to, to stop 100. The, the Palestinians assert 100 dead, um, but nobody knows what the, what the true number is. The, uh, it's difficult for me to remember each time how much he did or did not say uh, before, uh, you know, uh, different responses. But the Prime Minister of Israel has openly... Um, I don't know if you want to say warned or threatened or discussed the possibility of a ground invasion, of finishing this operation, you know, in a proper fashion, might get worse before it gets better. It, it seems to me like he's saying a little too much. And we often, you and I, speak about 
how sometimes it's better, you know, not to reveal too much information or or speak much from his office. Is it is it just now that it's you know 2014 and this information you know is being demanded more than ever by the media and that he has to say something regarding what's going on, or is, or is he using the media to actually threaten the other side and remind them what could happen if they don't uh, if they don't stop letting up if they don't start letting up? Uh, I think that if you go back, you'll find that uh, there were similar statements at similar timing. There was also a buildup with 10,000 soldiers or more who, came, who were called in and were quite upset afterwards that they were not Utilized, active right. duty when they were stuck on the border for uh, an extended period of time. Right. We have a call-up now. Uh, soldiers are being sent to the north uh, reserves so that they can release the active duty soldiers to come south and I don't think that this is a bluff on Israel's part I think that they are seriously looking at the option it is not an easy option I know people tell me and I'm sure they tell you why doesn't Israel just go in and obliterate it why don't they just uh, you know send in the troops because we recognize that because so much of this is built underground and so much of this is built in other you know um, in ways that are, are very hard to access from the from the sky, that only by going in and, and rooting out the rest of the infrastructure uh, can this be complete. But you have to remember that they have had uh, a couple years to build infrastructure, to set traps that the yeah, headquarters and, and a lot of the facilities are underground, and uh, they know the map. Israel doesn't. Israel has good intelligence and remarkable intelligence even, uh, but they, and, and that's how they're able to target these single buildings, and uh, they give warnings. You know, they phone call, they place a phone call to the families to tell them to get out. Right. But what the Palestinians now are doing is putting people on the roofs, and you can be certain that on a ground invasion they may do the same because they don't care about civilian, they want the casualty numbers to go up, they don't care about the civilian population. I mean, there's audio of Arab leaders actually saying this, <laughs> people should stay put. And they should telling them to go to the roof, yeah. even after the families in the houses have evacuated. Um, and uh, and I think until uh, Hamas runs out of missiles and Islamic Jihad run out of missiles, I mean, they're competing. Who can shoot further? Who can shoot faster? The fact that they can go to Tel Aviv, to go to Yerushalayim, can go to Haifa more than once, to Zichron Yaakov even last night mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. Uh, and fire... I don't know, 185 rockets in a 24-hour period, not the last, but the, right. yesterday. Um, it, you know, it tells you that the, of the infrastructure they built in, they complain they don't have food for the people, but they seem to have a lot of money to pay for all of these missiles. And in the meantime, Israel continues to supply them with the electricity and with other fundamentals. Some people have criticized it. It, it becomes well- a question of international law. Oh, is that what it is? In other words, if you if you'd make that suggestion to the prime minister, he would bring that up because it seems like such a you know more peaceful strategy that water and electricity just not be provided to the area. Right. It's it's collective punishment. It's, right. uh, it comes there. It, uh, it, uh, uh, yesterday we were told this that uh, it's a matter of international law. Right. And Israel as a law-abiding country, etc. That's right. Um, and and you also have to look at the somebody who has a chance to look at the maps that have been produced, and I think the IDF has it on their sites, but the, um, I think called Israel Under Fire, how many seconds people have from zero to a hundred, which is the maximum in the most distant areas in the south, you know, near Eilat, et cetera, 
that most people will have between zero and 30 seconds. It's not a long time. If your children are out playing and you know that they have 15 seconds to get to a safe place, it's, it's a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And I know people raise questions always about these things, and I tell them you, you don't know what it's like and that they have to constantly look wherever they are as to where the nearest facility is, the nearest places for them to, to run to. Um, people in Tel Aviv generally, I think, ignore it, or even if they don't ignore it, you know, life in Tel Aviv went on because they've been, they feel so confident in Iron Dome. I think the same is largely true in Yerushalayim in the South. That isn't true. And, and they have to, uh, you have a million people, a million and a half people living under this constant threat. And today, more than 40% of Israel's population is in range. Do you have any recollection as to when the first time Iron Dome was used? How many years ago? Any idea what uh, how long Israel's had it at, at its disposal? Well, first of all, Iron Dome has been uh, it was used in the last war two years ago. Uh, Iron Dome has been uh, improved greatly. Also, you have more batteries, not enough, but they have more batteries, and this is of course funded by the U.S. and and. Congress deserves a lot of credit for yep. restoring the funding and the administration for putting in funding uh, for it. This is such a lifesaver. It, it's almost unbelievable, you know, to to think about how, what what would have been did, if they hadn't had uh, this. Number one, I mean, they probably would have had to go in right away. But the the number of casualties of civilian casualties in the places where Iron oh. Dome has been operating. It's yeah, this Iron Dome is a great complement to the ultimate Iron Dome, that's for sure. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, uh, up in Rockland County, 91.9 on the FM dial. Yeah, if the, if the uh, uh, drama was lost on anybody, the ultimate Iron Dome, of course, is the one above, but I hope most and people... you got to believe that he's responsible for this incredible thing. It's giving us a signal. No question. what I'm providing for you for, to protect you. Malcolm, unlike last time, there's no reason for Egypt to get involved in some type of ceasefire or uh, or some type of, uh, you know, a, a brokered deal uh, with Hamas. Uh, unlike last time, Egypt has no interest in getting involved? No, I think it, Egypt... Uh, Remember, Egypt's relationship with Hamas is very bad right. under the generals. Under Morsi, obviously, they had a common cause, and he aided and abetted them. Um, but Egypt is being talked to. Egypt is, has been making statements. Does uh, Egypt love the fact that Israel's responding this way to Hamas? Well, of course, they want to see Hamas degraded as much as possible. Mm. Um, but Sisi, is, I know, is, is being said that he's uh, torn um, between the Palestinians and Hamas and, and what he wants to see happen there in his fight against the Muslim Brotherhood, with which Hamas is uh, is affiliated. But there have been statements from different people um, indicating and putting more pressure on in the role to, for Egypt to help uh, stop. Remember, Egypt closed the access routes to, to Gaza now. They closed the tunnels. They have been impounding anything going into Gaza. Israel continues to supply things during this time into Gaza, and I would say has been less harsh than perhaps the uh, the Egyptians have been. So Egypt is in a the Sisi is in a in a little bit of a difficult situation here, 
I'm sure that the, some of the international pressure uh, will build for him to, to play a role. But President Obama has offered to uh, to play this role. What do you think that conversation was like? In the last 24 hours, the Prime Minister of Israel and the President of the U.S. spoke. Um, pleasant. I think that it was, uh, you know, a serious conversation that the president expressed support for Israel's right to do what it has to, that the United States will stand by Israel. Uh, remember, the relationship with the United States is important if they ever need resupply of things. If right. They need, uh, uh, you know, as this thing drags on. Uh, and, of course, for political support, when, as is inevitable, it gets to the United Nations. And we should talk about how, how I think Abbas is setting the stage for it. That's why he uses terms like genocide and war crimes, because he's trying to set the stage, but he doesn't realize that he could well be the one in the docket because he's a partner with the real war criminal, which is Hamas, which suits from amongst the civilian population against the civilian population to clear violations. Defending your country against rockets is not a violation. It is not a war crime. So he better be careful, more careful with what he's saying. Has he? I'm sorry, but I wanted to just sure. go back that um, uh, some of the people, media in Egypt, have called for them to uh, to play more of a role, uh, and so I think you might look to it. On terms of the president, after he made those references to Israel's support, he also called then for restraint and for calm and for uh, both sides to, to exercise, you know, caution, et cetera. So I don't know how the end of the conversation went. The beginning looked good. You know, it's interesting because uh, some people some people might be shocked to hear me say this, but uh, you know they 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 are partners, so to speak, in the most important aspect of Israel's defense right now, and that's of course Iron Dome. So to to think that the United States doesn't have some type of input or a right to some type of input in this whole situation might be a little far fetched. America, you know, Israel. And America's relationship is very intricate, no matter what the personal relationships are. The fundamentals are very strong. The, the mutual interests are very strong. It's in America's interest that Israel defeat Hamas. Hamas's main target is still the, the big Satan, which is the United States. And the people backing them are the same ones backing the other terrorist entities, which threaten the U.S., threaten our interests, threaten our allies. So America's and Israel's interests certainly coincide uh, and right now the international community still has been sustained but I think Netanyahu looks at this and, and recognizes that the international community seems to have a high tolerance for short wars even if you kill many people in a short time and Israel has not um, if you look at the number of strikes and as uh, one commentator said either their pilots are blind and can't find the targets that only a hundred people they claim a hundred have been killed uh, in, in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sorties means that they are doing it so pinpoint, so targeted as to avoid uh, civilian cash, so as to avoid civilian casualties. Right, yeah, well, they're experts at that, thank God. Um, how long will it last? I know predictions are not something we usually quiz you with, but the, there's a possibility. You know what, people don't even want to know that as much as people want to know if it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. Is it going to be much more difficult for our brothers and sisters in Israel before it starts getting better, especially if they're going to follow the formula that you just mentioned uh, of recent times, of it being a relatively short period of time, these uh, actions? 
It depends on, on where the, the parties find their interest. And I don't mean Israel. I'm talking about the PA, uh, <coughs> sorry, and uh, Hamas. Uh, as I said before, we're coming to the next week to the deadline on the Iran talks. They may well want to have a diversion. They may well want to have, uh, you know, escalation of violence uh, so as uh, to tie up Israel, that it can't focus on um, um, what what is going on. And you have so many things that could cause a, a, an immediate shift. For instance, you know, there were rockets fired towards Demona at the uh, nuclear uh, power plant there. Right, I'm going to ask you about that. That is a special uh, crime, and that is a, a unique nature, that this is an act of nuclear terrorism uh, against an Israeli city. And this is would be considered an unconventional attack. Uh, so that kind of incident, if they had succeeded, if something had happened in that regard, that will change everything. The, if Hezbollah decides or the, the northern border gets, gets uh, heated up, uh, the, uh, and, and the lessons they learned from uh, the Lebanon war is just sustain it, and if you survive, you can declare victory just by that. And you can go before the Arab world and you say, you see, we stood up against the Israeli forces. They could bomb us constantly for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and, and uh, we survived. And if they can get more weapons, it, uh, it just enhances that uh, that capacity or that the, the the bragging rights that they could have so there are many things that could uh, including international pressure including uh, uh, Israel the, the internal pressures from within Israel to uh, to direct how long this lasts and and what the next steps will be it's interesting you mentioned Demona uh, they also have made major threats against the airport uh, the main international airport in Israel, um, with that in mind, because some people, some of us know the geography in terms of the distance, uh, some people have speculated that the the better rockets, if you will, the more potent rockets, are used early on, and that you know days from now they won't have the same type of arsenal, which of course would reduce the opportunity to aim at a place, God forbid, like the airport. Uh, is is that true? Is there any reason to speculate that that might be true? That they're using their best weapons up front. Well, they have a limited number, so you could say that they're using them up front. They're using them sparingly. They integrate them within a pattern of, of different kinds of rockets that are, are being shot, and they have essentially four kinds. The most common are the Grad, which have a range of about, um, I don't know, 45, 50 kilometers. Then you have the Qasem rockets, which have an 18 kilometer. Those are used against the areas just adjacent to Gaza. Then the M75, which have a 75-kilometer range, which means that they go towards Beersheba and uh, even to, to southern areas of Tel Aviv. And then you have the long-range ones, which are used against Haifa and Jerusalem, the M302s, which I said, told you was a Syrian. They have a range that's been demonstrated of 160 kilometers, and they it depends on the target. The fact that they're shooting at Jerusalem is, to me, shocking taking the risk that they would hit Al-Aqsa or some other uh, site holy to them uh, was always considered uh, a red line that they wouldn't uh, that they wouldn't cross and yet they're willing to take that chance they have fired repeatedly and yesterday one was taken out over over central Jerusalem uh, they were taken out over the Knesset the not uh, far distance and especially when you don't have 
these good guidance systems that they can directly target where it will reach, this is really surprising to me that they would they would take this chance. Uh, the um, the call up of the reserves, uh, what that does to the country is. Uh indescribable for, to those who uh, have never seen it up close. I mean, every family in Israel practically is uh, in some type of uh, either turmoil or, you know, completely off their regular routine, so to speak. Uh, and we know on many different levels from, you know, from the most mundane things to the uh, uh, to the most serious aspects of this, which is, of course, people putting their lives in danger. Uh, the entire country's upside down at this point. Look, it's very disruptive when people are called up from work Especially thousands at a time, uh, or 10,000, 15,000. This is a big part of a certain age group in Israel. Uh, what is remarkable is that the Israeli stock market was going up still yesterday, went up. <laughs> Why? I'm not sure, but I think it's a sign of the confidence that people have in Israel and uh, I think Iron Dome and other things. The fact that you haven't had civilian casualties, you've had limited damage. Uh, last night you had more, and the first real uh, significant uh, explosion at the gas station, and the you know you had a car that overturned that killed an Israeli soldier, but that was not directly a result of fire. Uh, so life does get disrupted. The economy seems to be okay. I hope tourism will remain okay. We're taking a group on Sunday. We're going with a solidarity mission. And uh, a couple dozen people already signed up for it to go for a day and a half, two days to Israel to show the people that they're not alone. We did it in past wars. I think it's it's a psychological boost. It's an economic boost. It tells them they're not isolated. It, it, it sends a, such an important message. And others who have the opportunity in a couple weeks or have trips planned, I can't tell you what to do. All I can tell you is what we're doing. And I think you got to think about the, the obligation to show the people of Israel at this critical time that they are not alone and that the, the people canceling visits, which I understand, but I think... Uh, Just realize it has a major impact. It has a We're major not telling impact. anybody what to do, and, but and it has a major impact. on the receiving end, if, if God forbid there were incidents here and people would say, well, we're not going to visit there anymore. Right. Uh, a lot of us have kids in Israel this summer. Uh, kudos to the to all the programs that are taking all the precautions necessary, are evaluating things on a regular basis, and I mean by the hour, I don't mean by the day, uh, to make sure that everybody is safe and doing what needs to be done and uh, and are going ahead with the plans and, again, doing so in a responsible fashion. And uh, anybody out there who, uh, again, Malcolm nor myself, nobody, nobody else is telling anybody what to do, but uh, there have been... And it may be a generational thing, Malcolm, uh, you know, because years ago we know that, you know, there have been mass exoduses from Israel during situations like this. We have not seen that and it doesn't look like we're heading toward that. It may be that uh, that the that the spirit that has brought so many young people to the land that has encouraged them to uh, join the army and show that, you know, show not just solidarity, but, uh, you know, ready to act on behalf of Israel's future. Uh, it could be that that whole spirit is just permeating this generation. Everyone's willing to to stick it out, to stick it out, and uh, and to be with their brothers and sisters as long as they can. I, I think that's true, and I, I think it's a tribute to everybody who does and who continues to go. I know that flights are still full, and and people point to the ads where they said that you know people can change their tickets. I think that was an important gesture, but you have to remember that a lot of other people are booking tickets then, so the flights are not going empty because of it. Uh, they may have different people than originally intended, 
but I think the the um, you know the the fact that Iron Dome and the cities have remained relatively safe. Last night, people tell me the streets and the bars and everything in Tel Aviv was full um, because people have confidence in it, and, and hopefully that will be justified ongoing. We should mention, of course, uh, a lot of people in this audience know that I was critical of certain uh, government officials uh, in this country uh, um, a few weeks ago. We should acknowledge that many people um, in the in the world of government have stood beside Israel uh, during this time, members of the United States Senate, the United States House of Representatives. I know we expect them, especially Congress, to stand by Israel, but some of them really come out with very strong statements that the White House themselves may not you know, come out with statements as strong as that. So we acknowledge those that have been out there at the forefront uh, leading other members of the United States Congress uh, with strong statements on behalf of Israel. And you, everybody in the audience has to contact their elected officials at every level and say, please send me a copy of your statement supporting Israel at this difficult time. Don't just ask for a statement. Tell them you want a copy of it. You want to see it. We want every one of them to be out there. And, and there should be local uh, um, gatherings as big as, as wide as possible, bringing different tools together to say to heal them for the people and for the soldiers that we have to show our support. Invite elected officials to be there and make them go on record and publish what they say. It's not enough for them, you know, later on to shed crocodile tears. I want to see them out there, out front now. You know, we've had some disturbing statements during the week. We've had, by and large, from Congress, uh, very strong support, but also too much silence. And I think it's imperative that people um, force the public officials, encourage public officials, to take a stand to get out there and speak out. Did you say silence or near silence? Did you say silence? Some silence. Or near silence. It seems to be a it seems to be a sensitive point in the New York Times, whether it's silence or near silence on an issue. Uh, by the way, kudos to kudos to those who wrote to the Times and, and were outraged by the editorial about Benjamin Netanyahu and whether he did or did not react uh, in regard to the uh, murder of the uh, Arab boy. Um, you know, that they it may be a subtle correction, but Malcolm, you'd encourage people to keep uh, correcting those subtle corrections. Joseph, they will, that right. there are corrections. They've had many, many mistakes, and so has the rest of the media. And some of the coverage, you know, just reporting on Israel's actions without, and, and as a, you know, closing line in the closing sentence, they say, oh, and, and Hamas fired some rockets at Israel without det- telling the truth about these uh, rockets with big payloads coming across that will kill, murder, damage. And they, they play it down, and the focus is only on, on Israel, and they tell all these psalm stories about what the other side going through without, how come they don't tell about all the people still coming to Israel to be treated medically, about the medicines that Israel sends in to, to the Gaza Strip? Uh, the rest of our world doesn't care, but Israel sustains its obligations and its responsibilities, even at this time, and that uh, the, the story of, of operations and things that were being done for uh, Palestinian children from Gaza just in the last few days. I, I assume that the border crossings now are, are, are closed and it's probably too difficult, but uh, up until now, it's been going on. Malcolm, do you know how much ingenuity is being lost because so much manpower has to be used because of situations like this? You know, what, what, what on, on top of what already has been coming out of Israel, could you imagine what would be coming out of Israel if there were peaceful times and the neighbors were not as difficult to live with as they are today? Look, I think Israel has, uh, the startup nation is a, is a revolution and an 
a lot of the incentive about destroying the economy, bringing it to a standstill that they can't ex- couldn't export oranges today. Israel continues, and you're right, they, they, there were attempts at first to, to hit the airport, but that, I think, is being dealt with very creatively, and the Iron Dome is covering uh, the airport. Uh, so I think the flights are continuing. People are, I've spoken to many people flew in and out without any problem. Um, I'm sure some airlines from Europe and others will, will may deter some flights or defer them, but all the more reason why we should be going and showing and that we're not afraid and we're, we, we stand with the people of Israel uh, now. And you're right. Think of the price that they're paying. Think of the people who couldn't go to work, the children who couldn't, the summer camps that had to close in the south, the colleges, the students who couldn't go to school because this, and, and yeshivot that couldn't learn or were moved to other places and uh, all of the dislocation that, that associates with this and people upsetting their families north so as to take them more out of uh, out of the immediate risk of of being near the border yeah it's uh certainly creates a lot of difficult circumstances finally i guess this would have been one of our headlines if not for uh, all the other things we have to speak about this morning um has this week at all changed the attitude of uh avigdor lieberman toward uh prime minister netanyahu uh, he uh he threatened or actually did leave the coalition uh, earlier in the week. Any change in that uh, situation? None for the better that I can see. Um, the the uh, tensions uh, continue within the cabinet, and it's a time when we really need unity within. Uh, or the I know that he invited, Netanyahu invited other parties to come and associate with the government, be part of the government. I hope that they can put aside the partisanship because not only do we face this issue, and as intense and dangerous as it is, you face the deadline next week in the negotiations, which will require a united Israeli front. Yeah. You have the... We don't need new elections now. Last thing in the world to be... To be uh, but usually that's how new right. elections occur, with a move like this. They, they have times, exactly, but I don't think that's not going to happen right now. You have the ISIS continuing. Look at what they, the disruptions in Iraq and what they're doing and what's happening in Syria. And the uh, um, Assad's uh, 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 seemingly recovery of parts of Damascus and, and Aleppo and other areas. The, uh, the strong stand that Khomeini took about, talking about 190,000 centrifuges, which never ever was even a question. The West was talking about 500 to 1,000 initially. Maybe they're talking about 1,500. They have 10,000 operating now with 19,000 in place. So either he made a mistake with a zero or he's got some wild scheme that, uh, and numbers that he's putting out there, which don't make any sense. Uh, but we're coming to, to uh, an important deadline. We may just have an extension. I understand that the gaps are very wide. It doesn't mean they won't uh, close them. The foreign ministers, including Kerry, are going there. Uh, this weekend for the negotiations. When you look at what's happening in Iraq with the um, ISIS, they just they captured this week the chemical weapons, the massive chemical weapons and uh, storage facility, manufacturing facility, which had 2,500 rockets with deadly uh, sarin nerve gas uh, uh, warheads. Uh, they are aged. They are. We don't even know if they're usable, but they're dangerous no matter what because you have a lot of chemical war, uh, weapons agents there that fall in the hands of the ISIS, who can then transport them or utilize them. Uh, so that's something you 
you've got to think about it. And, and the, uh, there are many issues now, and you have an election in Turkey coming up. We have so many challenges and issues that have long-term implications at this time that Israel, having to fight this war, needs also to be able to focus at the same time yeah. on these other strategic interests, including what's happening to King Abdullah of Jordan, what happens along its northern borders. We pray for the safety of our brothers and sisters in Israel. We encourage everybody to continue to support all the efforts financially and otherwise, and of course spiritually, to uh, keep our brothers and sisters in mind and help whenever possible. Uh, future of the Jewish people is, of course, in the state of Israel. Nothing has happened this week to deter us from that. Uh, Malcolm Holmline, uh, next week, I assume, oh, you'll, you'll let us know if we can reconvene next week, right? You may have a, uh, right. a conflict. We'll figure it out during the week. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful job. As Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm has a major meeting next week in Washington that might affect his ability to join us uh, at the regular time. We'll figure it out, and obviously we'll give everybody advanced warning about uh, wh- when and if our conversation will take place uh, uh, for uh, Friday morning. Next, Erev Shabbos.